Welcome to Empowered by Women for Women. This podcast brings you inspirational women and their stories, their successes, and their experiences along the way. Join us to be challenged and inspired. Brought to you by Invintage and hosted by myself, Trudy Kerr. Thanks to her dazzling career as an actress in some of Malta's biggest stage shows and her role as a judge in 2020 Malta's Got Talent, Maxine Aquilina, now Maxine Attard, is a household name. You may also know that following the sad passing of her well-loved mum, Jackie Aquilina, Maxine joined forces with her friend Angie to set up Days of Sunshine, a charity to help dreams come true for children in the Rainbow Ward of Matadea Hospital. Maxine and I also have a very special connection, and it was in an ad break during the Drive Time radio show that I hosted that Maxine told me that it had been her mum that had found me after a near-fatal horse-riding accident. And it was her mum's quick actions that probably saved my life as I lay on the ground with two brain hemorrhages. Sadly, Maxine shared this with me too late for me ever to say thank you to her amazing mum. And Maxine is finally getting back on stage this month as the lead in Sister Act, which was postponed due to the initial outbreak of COVID just hours before it was due to hit the stage in Gozo almost exactly two years ago. But Maxine was back in the news at the end of January as she spoke out about her miscarriage with husband Adrian. And we're going to be talking about this and issues of fertility in the show today. But Maxine, first up, so amazing to have you on Empowered. And I have a feeling this is going to be another emotional interview. Every time I see you, I've, I spend the whole time close to tears, <laughs> if not that. crying. <laughs> I was going to say, should I take that as a compliment? Is it, it means we get deep through this because we have a deep connection. We do yes. have. Oh, I've just gone goosebumpy. <laughs> I really have genuinely just oh, gone goosebumpy. But before we talk about anything else, let's talk about th theatre first, because I think it really was two years ago. You were literally about to start the run of Sister Acting Goes Crazy, in. bizarre. And we COVID in, was announced. Yeah, we were in production week and um, I could feel it. It was edging closer and I was just wondering when it was going to hit Malta. And sure enough, in our production week, it hit. So production week Sorry, means yeah. it's the week before... Yeah, it's the week leading to the show. So that's when all the magic happens, the lights and costumes and, you know, the orchestra comes in and everything. So we were really, really, like you said, so close. And then suddenly we get a call or a post on Facebook from our director saying, don't come to Gozo. I think it was the prime minister at the time had um, announced that we were in a lockdown. And so from being so busy with work and rehearsals and going up to Gozo to suddenly finding myself twiddling my thumbs at home, it was really heartbreaking for everyone in the cast. I, I, I myself, I can remember, I was, I'd been training for a 168-kilometer run that was the week of a sister act and just so many people in the similar position. And back then, it was just one or two cases a yeah, day. Yeah. And suddenly our whole life is turned upside down for this... For this uh, virus that we know nothing about one or two cases and suddenly the whole thing has been stopped but two years later we're back on stage <laughs> we're you back must be so oh, excited. I, I, I wish I could articulate the feeling it's so incredible to be back at the Astra to have this sense of 
oh, just this purpose now, you know, to get these stories told. Because we were so close before and we were, I honestly, with all the different dates that they announced and having to stop again, stop again, stop again, I just thought we're never going to get to, to perform this show. And so now that we're here, I do not want to jinx it. We're all being really, really careful because we have to. Um, and we're just hopefully going to be able to open on that beautiful stage for all those people who are dying to see you know, the musical that they booked two years ago. Two years ago. But as an actress, what has the last two years been like? I mean, you, you did have Malta's Got Talent. We did yeah. talk about yes, this in, an, in another interview. Yeah. What, what's kept you going? Well, I think Malta's Got Talent was great. It happened, you know, during COVID, I suppose. And we were all very careful then. As you know, we had to wear ma masks and visors and keep social distancing and everything. Um... Then there was a play that I did in July, once the restrictions had sort of lowered. So I think my studying kept me going, preparing for the wedding kept me going. So there was lots of things that I've been busy these past two years, to be fair. Well, you mentioned just then the wedding. Yeah. Because we have another thing in common. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we both have fellas called Adrian Attard. <laughs> it's so bizarre. It's so bizarre. <laughs> but you got married right in the middle of COVID, September the 20th yes. uh, last year. Yeah. And you had, would you say that you had a COVID wedding? How would you say that your big day mm -hmm. was affected by the pandemic? Okay, so I, I don't think mine was considered as such a COVID wedding. Um, two of my very close friends got married during COVID, like lockdown almost, where it was, you know, you're only allowed 10 people or something. So I considered that as more of a COVID wedding. Ours was affected by things like, the church, we weren't allowed to have so many people. We had to have one pew filled and one pew empty. So one, I couldn't invite half of the guests to the church. So even sort of having an empty-ish church was, you know, not sad, but obviously just a bit disappointing. Um, and because of the, the numbers as well, I wasn't able, we weren't able to invite everyone. So we had wanted this big, big wedding. We also wanted a stand-up wedding which is what we're used to. So we were not ever, I never imagined having a sit-down wedding. Um, but after saying all this, it was all, it was a real dream. And I wish I could relive it. It was just the best. I had such a blast and just a dream. Yeah, that's the best way to explain it. So you didn't lose out at all? <laughs> well, when I think about it and I think, oh, I couldn't invite them and I couldn't invite these and Adrian had to leave out a lot of people too. Yes, that's the sad part. But Realistically, it was about us, you know, and our unity and sharing it with our nearest and dearest. And they were there. So, so we did it. I'm and here so happy. <laughs> Look at you. I'm, yeah, I'm married. I was so pleased for you. But listen, we've talked about theatre. We've talked about you getting married. Yeah. But when I asked you to come on the show, I wanted to, originally I had in my head, we'd talk about theatre and we'd talk about what it's like to be, you know, an actress and, and you know, the sorts of things that you live with being an actress and how you work as an actress but you right out said to me can we talk about my miscarriage yeah and I was really blown away and I was also really thrilled that you brought that up and I think because miscarriage and infertility and these issues are rarely talked about mm -hmm. and rarely talked about in a very open way that when you asked me, I was like, yes, of course. But it came from you, and, I, yeah. and, and that was something that you really wanted to do. And that's what we're going to talk about today, and we're going to focus on this. And I really hope that this is of benefit to other women who are going through this. Because one of the things I found out is that 
10 to 15% of women experience miscarriage. That is known yeah. because some women miscarry, they don't even they don't know even that they were pregnant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So before we get into all of that, can you just put it in the, the picture? Because this is a really fairly recent experience for you. Yep, it is. It, well, it is. It's just a couple of months ago. Um, it's so strange because I had been, I had shared it on my social media um, and I'd been thinking, I wonder if Trudy would have me on the show and then you message. So there we are with our okay, strange connection. Tears already. <laughs> um, so yes, um, after we got married, we said, should we start trying? And as you go in, as I, I, I have to talk in I statements here because I can't generalize at all. But as I went into this new chapter, I have to say I went in unaware of so many things that could go wrong just because I think society paints a picture of what life is like. So you fall in love, you get married, and then you have babies, and that's it. Yeah? And it's not. And I think until you, you've had to deal with something like this or you have to go through that chapter, you are not exposed to it because people don't speak about it. And we'll get into that as well. So to take you back to the beginning, we fell pregnant fairly quickly, which I do understand is very lucky, because I know women who weren't so lucky and aren't so lucky. So I appreciated that, and I was genuinely over the moon. I can't even, I can't even tell you how happy we were. Um, we did say we're going to keep it to ourselves, so we said we're not going to share with everyone yet. Let's wait till we get to the 12 weeks, which is usually where you're safe-ish, although now I think you're never safe, but anyway. Um, and we said we'll wait, so that's what we did. We told, obviously, our family, and I told some friends. Um, and that the eight-week scan, which is the first scan that you have, um, we went and to the gynae, and we had the scan, and I, I saw this little tiny thing, and I saw a heartbeat. I didn't hear a heartbeat. Um, but in the first scan, usually they don't let you listen to it. I, I was already so overwhelmed, even just throughout the day. Now, looking back, I think, was this some sort of instinctual feeling that I knew something was wrong, or... Because I was a, a wreck, hysterical, anxiety and panic. I couldn't eat. I couldn't focus on anything. This is when you've just seen... No, this was the day of waiting to go to this scan. Got you. So right. I'm thinking, okay. you know, I think now, did I know? Did I know something was wrong? Anyway, I don't know. Maybe I did. Um, and the doctor who was uh, performing the scan said that I had a blood clot on the lining of the uterus, which apparently is a common occurrence. And that I shouldn't worry. What did I do? Went in the waiting room and Googled like what this thing was called. And Adrian was telling me, stop Googling. And this it's is at good. eight weeks or this is... This is eight weeks. This is at eight yeah. weeks. So you've gone to, to see First your... scan. Okay, first scan. And magical in all the ways it is. But it was also slightly, oh gosh, what does this mean? What does this... Is, could this mean miscarriage and, and whatnot? But the, the doctor doing the, the scan isn't the gynae. So he said, just go and speak to your gynae. So I, it's... Same clinic. So I'm waiting in the waiting room, Googling, like you sh shouldn't do, but I did it, um, and panicking, and I don't know what I was doing. Anyway, so we went to speak to the gynae. She reassured me that this is a very common occurrence. Okay. Many, many women have it. Um, and she put me on pills to protect the pregnancy, as she worded it. It's their progesterone pills. Again, very common for women to have. So I said, okay. After that, everything was fine. I asked, could I go abroad? I had a holiday booked over the Christmas holidays to see my brother and sister-in-law and my family abroad, my nephew. 
Um, she was fine with it, went abroad, had a lovely time, very, very relaxed. Um, COVID was still around, obviously, so I didn't go crazy and whatnot. I just had to stop exercising and sort of be careful. So I was. I did everything by the book. And then we had our 12-week scan. Again, anxiety, A1 that day. But I took control and I said, enough. I can't live like this every single scan. There are too many of them throughout this pregnancy and it's not how I want to enjoy it. So I sort of, I don't know what I did, started cleaning the house or something to distract myself and then met, um, sorry, Adrian picked me up and we went. And as soon as the picture of the baby came up, I knew something was wrong. And I said nothing. Now, when I'm very nervous, I usually talk double. You know, you start commenting or making jokes. I had to just, I froze. And I was preparing myself to hear the dreaded words I knew. Because this baby didn't grow. It was the same size as it was in the eight-week scan. And I was just lying on this bed thinking, oh, my God. Um... And the doctor performing the scan had a few deep sighs. Because, gosh, can you imagine having to break that news, you know, to the couple? It must be awful for him as well. So he had to prepare himself. And he said, something's gone wrong. And I said, it hasn't grown, has it? And he said, no, and there's no heartbeat. And I, I can't even remember what happened next, I think. It's like time froze. It's not even like... <clears throat> it's not even like I... I went into the hysterical straight away. It was like time froze. There was this period of time where nothing was registering. It was like slow motion. That's how I remember it. He gave us a moment. And, oh, you know, I feel like I'm very um, aware of people around me. I'm aware if I'm making too much noise. I know this clinic really, really well. It's the guy I've always gone to. I used to file for her when I was in my teenage years. So I've, she's known me since I was a baby. It's literally the best sort of area, it's a safe space, but I'm still aware that I don't want to be loud, everyone sort of speaks in whispers, you know. I wailed, and the, the walls are paper thin, like I just couldn't care, I couldn't even think about who was hearing me in the, in the waiting room. And obviously Adrian was trying to um, comfort me and whatnot, and after a while I sort of put myself together and the doctor came back in and he said, I'm so sorry, you know, and you'll wait to go and speak to the guy you now. Now, the worst part is, obviously, there's only one waiting room. And the last thing I felt like, honestly, was going into a waiting room full of pregnant women and babies. Like, I really think there should be a private room for anyone who has to go through this. So I waited outside for a couple of minutes until I had to go in. And at this point, I had composed myself somehow. I thought, I need to go home. Just get in, speak about what this, why this possibly could have happened, and just go home. Now, sadly, there aren't many answers in this you know, my guy was obviously very, very sorry and sad as well. I could see even just her eyes. Um, she explained that it most likely was the baby using the words non-viable or not viable, which I hate because I feel like viable shouldn't be a word used for a baby. But anyway, that's the word used. What does that mean? In all honesty, Jude, I don't even really know. I think it just meant that there was something wrong with the baby, in plain and simple terms. Um, a chromosomal defect, something most likely not me, although we are still early in our journey, so I don't actually know yet. It was our first pregnancy, so... But she seemed quite convinced. Now you can imagine how many 
first time pregnancy she sees ends in a miscarriage. I can't even imagine. You mentioned the percentage. 10 to 15. Exactly. And that's one in four. One in four women. You know, if you have a group of eight friends, that's half of you who may or may not go through a miscarriage. Um, Now, here is where I feel I, I was dying to go home. So I didn't ask any questions. I needed to have asked questions. I should have asked for every detail. I should have taken the time in that office of hers and asked her. But I couldn't. But Max, you're going through grief. Yeah, no, I couldn't. I was so shocked. Not just yourself, but your husband as well, I assume. He was grieving as well. Both in a state. That's not the time. No, it's not. Um, To be asking questions. It's not. I look back and I think, I wish I did, because it would have made the next steps easier, but I didn't. But was there not an opportunity to ask questions a yes. day later. Yes, of course. I could have called her whenever I wanted to. But again, I just, I didn't. I went home. She explained this. She also told me, get off those pills, because most likely those pills have been protecting the pregnancy. And therefore, your body didn't recognize that the baby had died. So early on, the baby probably died a week after my first scan. And I carried it for another month, if not more. You know, it's really scary to think. And I had all the symptoms of pregnancy. Everything stayed. Everything. I was growing. My boobs were hurting me. I was very, very tired. I had very strange, couldn't really eat anything. I was very beige. Everything was like toast and pasta and crackers. I didn't want to eat anything else. So I was really convinced. I didn't think anything was wrong. No bleeding. So that's the term missed miscarriage, where your body misses it. It doesn't realize that you, that the baby has died. So sometimes that happens naturally. That's without pills. Women go through that without being on these progesterone pills. So she told me, Take, stop taking these. And the next step was either it will happen naturally or if it doesn't, you have to come back in a week to take another scan, which I have no idea why, but that's the way it works. And then she would have admitted me into hospital and it would have been an induction. So you take pills and it would start the miscarriage with these pills which a lot of women have to go through as well i when i read about this in your account i think that was one of the the parts of the story that really hit home and that really i i i just thought to myself you were told by your doctors to carry on as normal until you either miscarried in a natural way or that you were going to come back into hospital to be induced to to force a miscarriage. Yeah. I, I just, you know, when I was reading the, the account, your account, I just said to myself, good grief. You are grieving for your loss, mm-hmm. but your body is still carrying that loss. Yeah, absolutely. It's crazy. I mean, that must have been horrific. I think the... the so I went home and I, I actually did start to miscarry four days later. So my body did realize after I took... I stopped taking those pills. So I'm wondering whether it was those pills. And then it was five days later that it was full on and I went into the hospital. Those four to five days were agonizing, just the worst, because it was a waiting game. I wished it sort of would just happen. You know, I was anxious to see what was going to happen. How was it going to feel? When would I know when I needed to go to the hospital? But did no one tell you? No. It was just sort of when you start heavily bleeding, go to hospital. But they won't know either. It might, some women don't miscarry on their own. They have to be induced. But this is not a rare thing. This doesn't happen to one in 100 people. This happens to, as you said, yes. 
10 to 15 percent of women know they've had a yeah. miscarriage so surely that information or at least an understanding yeah. could have been communicated even when you I, I was trying to read online on all sorts of different websites and things and they say it's like a heavy period and um you know you get painful con uh, painful period pains they are not it was not like a heavy period it was awful and so painful I've never felt that kind of pain before. And so I kind of wish, yeah, I was a bit more aware of what was going to happen. And this was your body saying, <clears throat> okay, we know something unfortunate and bad has happened, so now we're yeah. dealing with this. We're going to deal with it naturally. It's but you did end up going to, into hospital. Yes, yes. She had written on my blue card, which is the, the sort of card you get for pregnancy, um, when, when bleeding starts to be admitted. So I, I sort of, I waited. I wasn't sure, so... I don't know what I was expecting, but maybe I was just dreading going in, to be honest. And Adrian was telling me, we need to go, we need to go. And I was saying, no, I don't want to go. So the worst part, the miscarriage started at home, which was awful. I wish I had listened to him and we went in earlier. because. So the way the story unfolded was it started at home. I was distraught and just freaked, absolutely freaked out. Had to drive to hospital mid-miscarriage. Obviously, I didn't drive. Um, waited in A&E for an hour on a chair without Adrian because of COVID he wasn't allowed in. So I was honestly such a state. And then finally they got me in and the nurse was livid that my husband wasn't with me. She was like, he needs to be next to you because I could hardly even carry my bag. Then a whole manic scene happened because I got lost. We got lost in the hospital. I think we arrived in the, in the, in the ward when there was like change of staff, I'm laughing now, but it was not funny at the time. Um, I think the security guards went on break or the receptionist wasn't there. So we were just like, where are we going? Like in this crazy big hospital. Anyway, up and down and I, I hate lifts. And Adrian was like, you can't walk up the stairs. We have to go in the lift. So I had a panic attack in the lift, ended up walking up two flights of stairs anyway. Again, ended up in a ward where no one was around. I was like, I need to just go to the bathroom, find where we have to go. And then the rest started happening in this bathroom, toilet at the hospital. And I was just freaking again. Can I be I... gruesome for a second? But <clears> when <throat> you say the rest, just in case anybody doesn't Absolutely. know what miscarriage I was, is. I wasn't sure if uh, no, I should no, go I into such No, no, I think it's detail. important because, as you said, you went into your pregnancy not knowing anything about miscarriage. We're going to talk about that in a second, but just for anybody that's listening to this who has is experiencing it or has experienced it or may experience it. When you say the rest, you're talking about your body flushing out. Flushing out everything. So wow. in my case, I, I didn't examine everything, but it would have been the small embryo, however big that would have been. It would have been the sac that the embryo was in. Everything, the lining, everything comes out. Um, and then you have two weeks of further bleeding for the rest of the lining to come out afterwards. So things are passing through with contractions. And you didn't know out. that this was coming? Well, I, I knew. I mean, I knew that's what a miscarriage was. I just, I don't know. I never, I, I, you won't know the feeling and you won't know what you're going to expect to see. Now I know, obviously, because I've gone through it. But it's, I don't know. 
I should have been in hospital really doing that, I think. I would have much preferred to have been there because the minute Adrian found where we have to go, about three midwives came and I just relaxed. I can't even explain. They were like angels. Their voices outside this tiny toilet (laughs) were like angels. I was like, finally, someone who knows what's happening. Like, I just surrendered myself to them. I was like, yep, take me, do what you have to do. And they were amazing. But there's a confidence and a reassurance in being with somebody who knows what they're talking about, and they've seen it before. Yes, and they were just so calm. Both me and Adrian were in hysterics. We were just, you know, feeding off each other's energy. He was hating seeing me in that way, hating not knowing where we had to go. It was just all a big palaver. And then suddenly these angels came. Um, So the worst was over, and I felt that. I knew, because I could feel it. And I lay down, they did an internal check, and then they admitted me into a hospital ward and a room on my own, thank God, I had to do a COVID test. Adrian couldn't come with me, so he, he went home to get some stuff. And I, oh, I have to say that was the, uh, I was very grateful actually to be alone. I needed that moment of this just happened. You're alive, you're okay. Pain has stopped, ish. You're looked after now, you're safe. When you had these angels around you, were you <laughs> able to ask the questions of, how this have you ever been able to ask the questions of how this happened why does this happen you know just bearing in mind that that 10 to 15 percent i'm going to keep saying this because this is not a small proportion Mm -hmm. of the female population 10 to 15 percent of women are going to miscarry you were not told that this was a possibility when you were told that you were pregnant and as you just said we paint this picture of beautiful pregnancies and and, you know wonderful lives so first of all you weren't told that this might happen I knew I guess just from I don't know how I knew but I I I did know that it's a possibility but like everything else in life until it happens to you you don't think it's going to you know same thing with my mom I never thought my mom would get cancer I never thought anything would happen you don't you don't live in and you shouldn't either really I would hate to go into my next pregnancy should we be so blessed to, you know, get pregnant again. I would hate to go into my next pregnancy with the same fear and the same, you know, mental state of this might be a miscarriage. You know, it's not going to be an... But I am glad now that I have more awareness of the topic and more awareness of the experience. Okay, well, let me ask you that because you just said you wouldn't want to go into a pregnancy thinking that this might happen. But the reality is that it does happen. Yeah. Do you think, having experienced what you have, that it would be appropriate to even raise the issue when you are first told that you are pregnant or you're first confirmed that you are pregnant by a doctor, by a, a gynecologist, by anybody, mm-hmm. that, you know, maybe this will happen. And if it does happen, just don't be scared or, or this, no, this is, is going to happen. This do. is the processes. Yeah. I mean, not to go into it in too much detail, but you yourself said when you were told you were in no fit state to ask questions. Yeah, no, no, I couldn't. Absolutely not. I think we need to start earlier. I think we need to learn this when we're learning everything else. I think we need to learn this when we're having, what is it, PSD or whatever we used to have in school. You know, we need to learn this. This needs to be a fact that the second you get your period, you are able to conceive. We knew that. But we didn't know that not all babies make it. We didn't know that not all women are fertile or or get pregnant straight away. We didn't know. We, I, did not know. 
So maybe there are women out there listening to this. Well, I knew I was taught that. Great, your school is super. You know, I think the school systems need to be teaching men and women about everything to do with reproduction, not just how the baby is made. You just mentioned their infertility. I mean, 15% of couples will experience significant fertility issues. 15%. Again, if you're sitting in a room with your friends, that's going to be at least one or two Mm -hmm. people in the room are going to experience fertility. And we don't talk about that either. So you're saying, and of course, just to add to that, there are statistics that are suggesting that infertility is on a significant rise. You're suggesting that this is something that we need to talk about as part of sex education. Yeah. But is it also something that we need to talk about, as I keep coming back to, when you get pregnant, just to be aware of the fact that, I mean, was it told to you, we all know about the 12 week yeah. Yeah. barrier. There's you some know, things we know. Everything's safe yeah. once you get to 12 yeah. weeks, which actually is not true it's either. It's not true either. No, it's not true either. What would you have personally liked to have seen different in your journey? I think if I had known more about pregnancy planning, family planning, I don't think maybe in other countries there is such things, but I think couples should be aware and should be taught everything, not to scare them, but to educate them. But I do think it, ha- it can happen from when you're younger. If things, when I was younger, were spoken about more, were more open, were more, uh, what's the word, um, accessible, you know, to us, it maybe would change, it's never going to change the heartbreak, it's never going to change the trauma that comes with it, but the awareness and possibly the planning of certain decisions that I made during that week, I would have gone to hospital earlier, I would have been more safe, more sort of instructed. You know, I would have known what was happening. I would have been on a hospital bed with midwives around me. Again, they're not going to take away the heartbreak, but it was definitely better than in my bathroom. You know, they tell you, you have to try and keep anything that comes out so they can study it. I mean, that was one of the worst things, having to physically put something in a jar and that something might have been my baby. Like, it's just... Honestly, my body went into such shock that I, I was retching. Nothing was coming up, but I was physically, physically getting sick. I'm just in with the shock. So yes, I think there should be more awareness. I'm not saying, like I said in my, my social media posts, I'm not saying that everyone needs to bear all for every single thing they go through, every trauma. No. That is my way of processing. This is my way of dealing with something that's happened, possibly opening one person's eyes to a journey or, or making one person feel that they're not alone. When I, when I opened up on social media, I spent a week replying to messages. One week. Luckily, I was in bed for those that week. I've never spoken to so many women. I never realized how many women in our, in our little country have been through this and worse, you know, and all with such positive message of of hope and, you know, how they say, courage and I keep going. And it was the most amazing experience ever, reading people opening up to me, people who, it's happened to them 20 years ago and they've never told a soul, you know, and I just think, again, I don't expect everybody to go on their social medias and be like, oh, this happened and this happened. Not at all. You might be a private person. I know a very dear friend of mine who didn't even tell her mom 
She just needed to process it on her own, and that's fine. That, that's your own way. But I also feel that there is this taboo and this... Is it taboo? Yes, that's the word I'm looking for, right? This taboo, and it, it's a dirty little secret. It's a horrible thing that you can't speak about. And I think if we go back, let's say, to the olden days, now I'm no anthropologist, but I feel that in the olden days, if women couldn't bear children, then what use were they to the community, to their husband? They couldn't reproduce. They, that was the one thing a woman was supposed to do, right, back then. So they would be shunned out, they, their husband would leave them, they kept it to themselves. No one would have spoken if they lost a baby. No one. I would love to say that it was generations ago, but I don't agree. You don't? You think it's still uh, happening? Because my experience ha- says otherwise. I was recently in a salon and lovely ladies were talking about children and the dreaded question came up, Trudy, how many children do you have? And I dodged around the question by answering, oh, I don't have any, I'm too old uh, for children now. But the friends in the room were really persistent in pointing out that I couldn't be too old and that medicine could do wondrous things these days and that I should think about it because motherhood was an amazing and incredible experience and it's never too late. And what I failed to say, and I didn't have the courage to say, but I wish I had said, is that 20 years ago, my ex-husband acted in such a way that means I can never have children. And it was not a choice. It was something he did to me. And I wanted to say that and ask them to stop saying that because I've had to grieve myself. I also remember being at a baby shower and I was holding a, a, a child, the baby, and I was asked by a woman, you have a lovely child, how beautiful. I said, this is not my baby. She said, which is your baby? And Mm -hmm. I said, no, I don't have any children. And she turned around and she said to me, your poor mother, you've denied her from having grandchildren. And I wanted to say to her, do you have any idea how much I've grieved by the fact that I can't have children? So as much as I would love to say that it is in the past, it is just assumed that every single woman can have children. And if they can't, it is something wrong with them. Or if they have a miscarriage, it's something wrong with them. them. Like you said, this dirty little secret. When in actual fact, in my case... Yeah, in your case, it wasn't even in your control. It was something somebody did to me. Yeah. So I I don't think that it is something that's in the past. How do we change this, Max? Well, firstly, thank you for sharing, because who knows how many people listening to this have similar stories. How do we change it? Um, okay. I I tend to agree with you, yeah. I think you have a point there. It's definitely not something that's in only in the past. I think it stemmed from that and therefore has created this bubble around the topic which whereby women don't feel safe enough to, to speak because it it's, it's, it's has a lace of shame to it. Because we are women. We, we're born, yeah, and generally speaking, with wombs. Yeah. Therefore, we have no. this duty to have yeah. children. So the minute I, I had time to process, I said, I am not going to be shamed for this. I am not going to feel ashamed that this has happened to me, to us. This is nature's way as they say of sort of healing of helping this baby had died this baby was not strong enough to make it to the ninth month you know and it's 
fascinating that my body could do that. So I had to turn it on its head and I had to talk about it because if I didn't talk about it, then I was giving in to that taboo and I was not going to do that. And then when all these women came to me and you so very generously sharing this on your podcast, it's, 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 this is how it changes. This is how it's changing. With, when women get together, magical things happen, right? As we know. So when women start sharing and it becomes more normal, I, I can't stress enough that I, I don't mean t- to make it normalized as an, oh, she had a miscarriage. Because I'm sure there are people out there who think, so what, you know? Well, when you go through it and everyone's process is different, oh, so what, you can't have children? No, this is massive. But we need to talk about it more because we are not alone. You are not alone. I am not alone. And I also told myself, I am not special. This didn't just happen to me. This happened to thousands every day, every second, every moment. I'm not special. This isn't something that I need to sit here licking my wounds about. No, but I... I, I want to be able to share this. I want to be able to openly talk about this and so that women in future generations can say, it's normal, it's sad, it's horrible, but it is normal. I'm not, nothing's wrong with me. It's, it's part of life. And I really sat there in my bed thinking, life isn't just those pictures that we see on Instagram and on books and fairytales and films and Life is full of ups and downs and full of heartache and pain and people suffer more than others and it's unfair and it's beautiful and there's joy and there's everything. But you have to embrace everything. We have to embrace these scars and these horrible parts to it. You've had to live with this. I'm going to live with whatever the journey is ahead of us. And uh, a life fully lived is definitely gauging all these ups and downs and living them and talking about them and crying about them and being angry about them you must be so angry you must have had dealt with so much anger you know I was angry who the hell was I angry at myself I did nothing wrong you know I was angry of course I had that moment of why me and then I thought why the hell not sorry why not you you know uh I don't know Cheers. I think we do we do say why me why did it happen to me but I think it, it also is very important, as you said, to accept the fact that this is reality and it happens to people, whether it be what happened to me, what happened to you, whether it be somebody who is facing infertility issues or or any situation. It happens and it, it does happen. Have you ever found that people, you, you had this incredible experience where women wanted to share, the minute that you opened up, yeah. women wanted to share. Mm-hmm. Did you find that anybody avoided asking you because I, sometimes I think people don't share because they don't know how to ask or yeah. how to express yeah. themselves and they're worried they're going to upset you yeah. and the truth of the matter is you're already devastated they can't make it no. any worse no um there are some people who avoided it I know that I felt this when I was grieving with my mom some people would avoid the topic because they they wouldn't they wouldn't know how to to cope with what I was about to say. So I used to say things, oh, no, I'm, I'm good, I'm doing really well. You know, and that was the easy way out for both of us. Um, with this, I hadn't, I had opened up on my social media a week after it happened, so I had already started to sort of process. I told my closest friends, and I was grateful for, there's nothing, there's nothing you can say, really, that's going to help. And a lot of people did say the things you don't want to hear, the 
at least you can get pregnant and at least you found out early and at least you're still young and at least that there's so many at least and if I heard another at least I was going to scream but I did take it these are people that love me these are people that don't know how this feels these are people that it's all coming from a good place it's not a, a nasty place so water off a duck's back I had to shrug that off and just okay shake that off that you know and and Sometimes it was just a message with a heart, and that's enough. Sometimes it was a, a voice note. I'm doing laundry, and I'm doing this, and this, and this, and this, and that was great, too. Or dropping off parmigiana, you know, or flowers, or, or anything. That I was truly supported. And because I spoke up, had I not told anyone, I would have gone through that, just me and Adrian, you know? I think that's really important, that thing that you just said. There's sometimes people don't know what to say and they will say, they will say stupid things. Just don't at say least. anything. But you know what you saw past you have the to. fact you have that to they try. didn't know what to say. Yeah. And I think for anybody who's going through a hard experience, whether it be a pregnancy, anything, yeah. mas- miscarriage or anything, just to remember that sometimes people say at least because they don't know what to it's say. It's an awkward thing. You know, you, you want to say something, you don't know what to say. They were upset too. So it was just, I think future reference, just say, I'm here, you know. Your friends might not want to talk. Your friends might not want you to come over. I didn't. I told everyone, sorry, I'm not up for talking. I don't want to call you. I don't want you to come over. Not because I don't love you, but because I'm in this space. And when I move out of that, sure enough, two weeks later, I had a couple of friends over for a cup of tea. And then I was able to, you know, to, to speak on the phone for 10 minutes and whatever. But I was drained. So let me wrap up by asking you one last very important question. Have you managed to say goodbye? Did you need to say goodbye? You saw a heartbeat. Did you feel like you wanted to say goodbye? Because one thing that really hit me listening to your account, and I've obviously because I've never had children, I've never heard anyone speak so frankly, but you had to pass. Yeah that process you had to pass that potential baby Mm -hmm. out of your body Mm -hmm. and see that yeah so how do you say goodbye do you close this chapter or do you just not yeah I don't think I closed the chapter I don't think this is personally something that can be closed I think this is going to be open forever and I, I think I want it that way something that's closed means it's ended it's finished Yes, the pregnancy ended, but the experience we had, the closeness we have now, Adrian and I, we we have a new level of intimacy, which I have to be grateful for. The everything, the possibilities, the, the fact that we were so distraught, I'm sure means that we'll be wonderful parents. It was just that you have to, I have to find the good. So I have to find these good things. I didn't do anything specific to say bye. Some women planted a tree, some women have a uh, a candle I, d- I didn't do that a friend of mine recently gave me the most beautiful framed hand sort of um, painted picture of Jesus holding a baby and it had like leaves all around it and that's that was so beautiful it didn't make me sad at all it was just such a lovely picture and I thought that's that's so nice but I didn't I haven't done anything specific I mourned properly this time and I'm saying this time, it's only happened once, but I think my only other kind of morning was with my mom, whereas I ran from it. I ran away from any possible 
grieving. I didn't want to cry. I didn't want to feel anything. I just wanted to carry on. And it catches up with you. It will catch you and you have to go through it. So this time I knew that. So after that day at the gynae, I went home and I didn't get out of bed. Then I had to go to hospital. And then I went home and I didn't get out of bed. I showered once a day and I stayed there and I accepted all the help and I did everything I wanted to do. I ate everything I wanted to do. Uh, sorry, I wanted to eat. Uh, all my childhood snacks randomly came up, like crisps and marshmallow snacks and rice crispy marshmallowy things and sandwiches and tea. And I don't even know what it is, but I did that. And I feel like because I gave myself that time and I allowed it, I, I gave myself the permission to feel everything, to scream, to cry, to hit the pillow, to, to, to be angry at everyone, to, you know, to go into... Adrian started working a week later from home, just gently going into the office to work, to go and burst into tears sitting at the desk with him and, and, you know, getting his support. Whereas previously I hid from everyone. I hid from my family. I hid from Adrian. I was always just pretending that I was fine. So I think the grieving process for me is enclosure, but it's allowed me to move forward. I want to move forward. <laughs> We nearly made it to the end, We Max. nearly did. <laughs> thank you so much for being on Powered, on Empowered. And thank you so much for being so open and what your gift of being open, I'm sure, has given to many, many other women. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> it's okay. I cried on TV. I can cry we here. We got there to the end. <laughs> the crying judge, as they said.